Hello, everyone, and welcome again into the Data Center Frontier Show podcast. I'm Matt Vincent. I'm here with my editorial counterpart, David Chernikoff. How are you doing today, David? Okay, Matt. Hope you're having a good day. Yep, not too bad. Another day in the in the hottest uh, in the hottest year ever. Uh, boy, the climate news is just uh, worse and worse. I read today that the uh, Gulf Stream is pretty much maybe uh, DOA by uh, in a couple of years. So, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here today to talk about another topic that you've been reporting and doing some significant reporting on for uh, for Data Center Frontier. And that is uh, edge data centers. We're here to focus on edge data centers today. And uh, you know, the simplest uh, d- definition, I think, is uh, you know the, the way uh, Bill Clayman framed it in, in a recent uh, article for our site. Uh, you know, edge is a class of data centers that's designed to be smaller and often modular in arch- architecture with a purpose to help bridge the connectivity gap, reduce latency facilitate faster delivery of applications, data and services closer to businesses, cities, users, physical devices such as cars, phones, and other IoT devices. But, you know, we know from uh, looking into the market that there's uh, a lot of different, uh, it seems to be a lot of different types of uh, edge uh, uh, concerns uh, with data centers, a lot of different sizes. It means uh, different things to, uh, depending on, where you're standing, uh, looking at the topic, it seems to me, and uh, it, it seems like there can be a, a big range of uh, types of edge data centers. And I know some people even uh, consider anything that's coming about in a, in a second tier market um, to be uh, like an edge data center. So where should we jump off on this? Um, I know you recently uh, wrote an article about uh, uh, Akamai and yep. uh, well, that that's I, actually a good. That's a good place to start. Okay. Uh, if you think about it, the original marketing for dead data centers, going back probably a decade or so, was we're going to put smaller data centers in smaller markets that are poorly served by the hyperscalers, or that, or that simply don't have the capability to deliver a secure computing environment to customers. And, you know, customer, you know, as, as Bill said in his article, customers, the further away their data gets, the little, you know, the more concern they get. So if I'm going to dump a bunch of data on Google and I don't know where it's going to reside, I might be happier with a smaller provider, second or third tier provider that's in my hometown. And I can, I know where my data is, or maybe I'm simply, they're simply a colo provider and they're just providing a cage and I'm putting my own servers or hardware in there. Or maybe they're offering me some services, but it's local. And I, and I have that more handy throat to choke, as it were, if I have concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about it, you know, Google, Amazon through AWS are in the edge data center market, but it's sort of not in the same way as people that have dedicated themselves to it. Um, a lot of edge data centers, other than those who are purpose built to put a complete data center in a smaller regional area, came out of the content delivery network model. Um, Netflix was probably made the biggest noise about that early when they started sticking servers in ISPs at, at, at pops and point of presence so that they could use, so that when you downloaded a, a movie, everybody else in that 
region didn't have to go download it from their main servers again. They, they didn't have the latency issues. It was now stored locally, at least for whatever time period uh, Netflix wanted it stored. But that meant that people were building up a data center-like connectivity with lower latency, decent security, and, and in a much broader range than, than, say, Google. Now, Google has 30 data centers, 30 huge, monstrous data centers drawing a huge amount of power with, with uncounted numbers of servers, um, offering all of their services and supporting all of their services. Uh, AWS offers 125 data centers, which is one of the reasons they're, they're competitive with Google on the, on the business space. They, they're able to give a more, um, I don't know what the right term is here. You know, when they first started doing this, their elastic load balancing, not only being a great idea because you could, you could balance loads between data centers and between services. It was also their, their biggest Achilles heel because every time there was an AWS is down message, it was because one of the elastic load balancers had failed and they had to go work on that. But, they, but they've pretty much solved those problems. And now they, they've spread their content delivery network through those 125 data centers. And then we look at people that are in the dedicated content delivery network business. Uh, Akamai comes to mind because they were they're the most they've got the most recent news basically. Um, they've got 4,100 fundamental what they call data centers points of presence um, that are scattered throughout the world. That means there's much more in, and as they move into the data center market now trying to position themselves as a general purpose data center provider, they're already everywhere basically. I think they're in 134 134 countries or is it 134 cities, but they're all over the place. So let's look at it that way. Point I can taken. bring up their I mean, they're, 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 they're everywhere. And I think that's a big part of that. So when you look at the at the, the CDN people, um, some of them are really well-known names. Cloudflare. When you look at, when you, when you look at uh, go to a website and there's a security message saying they're checking your connection, all that sort of stuff, that's probably coming from Cloudflare. And it's running in an edge data center closer to you probably than the website you're trying to get to. So mm -hmm. Cloudflare has built that big network up. Um, Rackspace is well known for actually building physical data. No, they took the edge data center market where they were building physical say, data centers in, in these smaller regions and they moved into the content delivery business. And now they've got a large presence as well. Um, neither Cloudflare nor Rackspace are on the scale of Akamai right now. I think that they're, Akamai is clearly the largest player in this field. But the point being is that these are the guys that have the experience and are now in you know, looking to challenge the giant hyperscalers for business. So they they've they've optimized their delivery at the edge. And that's and as businesses move to that space, it's important for businesses to move to their optimize their delivery at the edge. I don't want to have to move the data for every client who comes to my business website from their device through however far to my to my personal data centers, to my Google data center, to my AWS space. I am, if somewhere I'm paying for backhaul, somewhere I'm paying to move this data around, somewhere there's a there's a cost in latency and efficiency in moving data long distances, and the advantage of having that information in a edge environment makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. So that's that's sort of the, the big picture. But uh, when you talk to about edge computing and you sort of blend the two together, edge computing and edge data centers. The issue becomes, I don't want to move data around. I've got a lot of edge devices. 
I've got IoT devices. I have industrial IoT devices. They're all operating at the edge somewhere. Right. And the roll-up process, I don't want to move the data. I want to move the data as little as possible. And, you know, we're, we're building devices to run factories and, and whatever. That's a fair, that's a good, that's a good industrial IoT. Fairly serious applications. I'm running a factory. I'm watching product lines. But I don't want all that data moving around somewhere. I want it somewhere stored locally. I want faults pushed up. I want, you know, anything I need to know about, anything I have to address, or anything that's been addressed can be reported up. But I don't want to move all that data around. So a lot of the processing now has to happen at the edge. And in some cases, that's going to require a full data center. In some cases, it could be a data center in a box sitting in a, in a literally sitting in a closet, climate-controlled closet, in, in the office somewhere. But before the point being is that it's all done at the edge. And the edge has become much more important to business and industry over the last decade. And, and the, the solutions are focusing on solving the problems at the edge as well. Understood. Okay, so uh, you've covered, uh, we just uh, covered uh, industrial IoT as a, a trend uh, driving uh, the growth of edge data centers. How about uh, 5G? Uh, you know, 5G has been around for a while. It's been identified as one of the big uh, edge uh, drivers. What What is there to, uh, what should we think about that? The whole telco thing is sort of a, the redheaded stepchild of the edge data center. Yeah. Because if you think about it, every tower you see, every cell tower you see has a data center attached to it in many ways. It may have literally a data center in a box type data center attached to the tower in a small building at the bottom of the tower or in a big box at the bottom of the tower. Or it could roll up to that provider's data center. You know, um, Verizon, for example, has something like 40 data centers in the U.S., and they roll up, they, they sell data center services as an edge provider. People don't really think about telcos in that, in that space, but they're there. Um, but the point is all of their towers are handling the data. They're moving the data around. They're, they're, they're being, I guess 5G is optimizing the design of the data centers in those towers because now more data is being moved at higher speeds. Of course, the fundamental issue with 5G is its range. So in an urban area, lots of 5G repeaters, lots of data being moved, really high data rates. Um, you switch to where I live, I get a 5G signal and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, who knows, they could be lying to me. It could just be my phone, phone reporting 5G. But the issue, the issue, of course, with 5G being I need a good line of sight. The serve tower can't be that far away. And so the amount of data being moved, smaller population, fewer businesses, Etc. The investment that the carriers are making in, in in the backhaul in the overall equipment for five G out in, in areas like where I am is 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 not as as large as that being made in industrialized areas and places where there simply are the people and the businesses driving that. Which means there's yes a data center attached to a tower. There's a data center run by that carrier. Um, I recently I, I sent you a. a a message from a story from uh, Forbes a couple of days ago talking wow. about how bad the infrastructure was for many of the major providers because they really they, they didn't expect the kind of usage that the cellular towers are getting that that 5G was going to put the demand that things like 5G and future technologies are going to put on the on their overall networks and 
it's, it's obviously to their benefit to move as little data across their backbones as possible. So if once again, content delivery, if you're watching videos, if you're watching YouTube, if you're watching Netflix or Hulu or something like that, you don't want to have to move all that data all the time. You know, the latest trending TikTok video shouldn't have to be redeployed through your network every time somebody clicks on it. So it's getting stored locally, which means somebody has to be managing that data. Somebody has to be managing that storage. You've got to automate it as much as possible, and you've got to move it out to the edges as much as possible. Right. Great insights. Uh, as long as we're ticking off uh, trends that could be a driving edge uh, data centers, one that I hear all the time is self-driving cars and uh, autonomous vehicles. Um, although I, I don't see any evidence uh, down here in Southern New Hampshire of uh, that technology uh, being on the streets yet. Uh, that's always cited as one of the uh, edge uh, use cases. I mean, you know, how do you think that's going to play out? Is, 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 and what's it going to be like competitively for data center providers? Well, when I was when I was in San Francisco uh, last month, uh, every Uber driver spent the entire drive complaining about self-driving cars. <laughs> uh, not so much as it taking their jobs away, but because they were they felt they were clogging the streets. There's there's two or three, possibly four competitors locally there that are putting self-driving autonomous vehicles out on the roads as competitors to Uber and taxis and that sort of thing. Um, when you think about it, you have a combination of issues. Are you going to build all of the information, all the all the, all the technical autonomy into the vehicle? So that you sort of have to, because you can't guarantee you're going to have connectivity to anything elsewhere. You know, if somebody gets in their car, their autonomous vehicle, or their, their Tesla with full self-drive, whether or not that actually works, and is out in the middle of the, of, of on their way to Las Vegas from Southern California, there's a lot of area there that has nothing, including much connectivity. So obviously my car has to have that capability if I want it to drive that nice straight road by itself to do it without getting any connections. But if I'm in San Francisco and I wanna be an effective competitor in that market, I wanna be getting as much data as possible. I mean, I, I don't wanna rely on ways to know where the traffic is. I want real time updates from every vehicle I have on the road as, as a business that tells me how effective traffic patterns are, where I can take my cars, how the driving is going, what's happening around the environment and each individual car is in and derive all that data as quickly as possible. That takes us back to 5G and to actual connectivity and to localized data centers. I want to, I don't know who's building what, frankly, I haven't covered the autonomous market in depth, but clearly there is a need to have, to be able to handle and process data to gain a, um, a business advantage, not so much for the operation of the autonomous cars, whatever the autonomous vehicles are, now that they're, now that someone is actually shipping a flying car, um, it could well be that. Um, the idea, but the whole idea is you need to be able to concatenate all that data and make sure that it's available where it's needed. And it means latency and bandwidth become huge issues. Right. So edge data center solutions. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's kind of a, a really interesting topic because I was just uh, this morning uh, having an interview with uh, somebody from a major. Uh, data center uh, design and build a firm in the US. And he said, um, 
you know, he said we build out at the edge quite a lot, but what we see from the edge is not what people would immediately think of as the edge. You know, he said we're not dropping huts at the bottom of cell towers. That's not our edge. Our edge is a built to suit or vaults in Richardson, Texas, or 12 megawatts somewhere in the Phoenix area, or, uh, you know, our edge is in Hillsborough doing AI applications for a GPU company. So, and it just sort of gets back to uh, the point uh, that we maybe began on, which is that there's uh, edge seems to mean different things to uh, different folks, depending on where you're standing in the industry and uh, what needs you're serving. Um, so, uh, so that just leads me. What's that? You just had to work IA into the AI into the conversation, didn't you? I had to work it in. Yeah. Um, but that that that's the classic edge data center model. That's what that's what we started with. It's putting smaller data centers where a data center can do some good, be it for a purpose built for one customer or purpose built for uh, colo or you know a service provider that's offering services to a lot of customers. That's the classic edge data center model. But mm -hmm. On the flip side, we're talking about autonomous cars. Uh, last year, I interviewed um, well, a design director from the company that Volvo spun off, and I can't remember its name off the top of my head, that was building autonomous cars. Mm -hmm. And they were, for their development, they were sending out vehicles that were at levels of instrumentation you wouldn't have in a production vehicle, but they had to get all that data. They had to process that data as much as possible and as quickly as possible because there was so much data and th that they had to, to, to wade through it Back at back at the office would have been delayed their development by months, if not years. So they actually basically rolled out edge edge data centers, and to a certain extent, in the basically in the trunk of a vehicle, it was a data center quality analytics running, so that they were they were reporting up just the information they needed to build a better autonomous vehicle. Mm -hmm. So. That's sort of the opposite from the classic. Let's put a, you know, let's put ten megawatts in three thousand square feet in a building in downtown Phoenix and service this particular industry bench. Or I have a, a customer who needs that kind of thing. So it it, it goes all directions. And um, I mean, to to the to take it uh, from the uh, sublime to almost the ridiculous. If you talk to Qualcomm, they'll tell you. I think I mentioned this once before that. Every processor they make in their last generation or two is an AI processor, and they and they can be used to develop to to process data at the edge. And that wherever that phone is, that's the edge. Well, that makes perfect sense. Wherever a phone is, that's the edge. It's collecting data, it's generating data, it's using data from the overall network. So, if I need something more powerful than a phone to handle something, I want that resource as close as possible to my phone. And. Mm -hmm. I would, that's for a lot of reasons. It's not efficient to move that data from a phone sitting in Southern New Hampshire to a data center sitting in in Oregon to process that data, then send it back to the phone. I'm sure some of the data when you look at your phone is probably actually doing that. But think of think of the issues involved, the backhaul, the latency, the just just the security of that data moving across that much fiber. You know, right. if I if I things that are happening locally give me the opportunity to have a more secure data center or to be more secure data. It's more efficient, both in operational costs, as well as the, the just, the, just the actual efficiency of moving the data around. Um, 
your latency, which is the biggest issue for a lot. We, we all, there is no person in the universe who has not clicked on a, a link on, a, on their on their web browser and sat there and waited for something to happen. Yes, it might be your it might be your desktop. It might be the link from you to your point of presence. It might be the server delivering that data back at at, at a data center, you know, five thousand miles away. But somewhere in there, latency is is impacting your your workday, and we latency makes people go away. I think there's been a number of studies done on that factor. But if I'm in a if I'm in a commercial environment, and one of my customers clicks on something, there's a very narrow Pardon me, there's a very narrow range of I'm willing to sit there and wait for them to get a response. And if everything else on my computer is responding quickly, I'm going to really going to notice if that, if that website takes five seconds to respond when it should have responded in three. For sure. And I'm going, and that's and that and that's a driving factor to keep the data and keep the information as close as possible to the customer. Yep, all great points. Uh, you're uh, a, a, as you speak, and uh, I'm uh, mining uh, my browser for other uh, points to bring up. I'm on a a, a page at a data bank, and the, and it's talking about edge, and it's talking about all the stuff that you just mentioned uh, in terms of uh, security, uh, manageability, uh, and uh, resiliency. Um, what else uh, have you been covering uh, for DCF in terms of uh, edge? Um, the well, you talked. You already talked about the construction of data centers. I was going to go talk about that a little bit, but you're already you've already pointed out that from the from the build perspective, um, there's certainly a lot more edge type data centers being built than giant hyperscaler data centers. Yeah. So they have their own specific issues you know if i'm i'm you know google has a lot more influence talking to a power provider or or anything not not, not even not even just power and 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 water and that sort of issues but just what i'd be curious in and i haven't actually gone into it in detail but you probably may have come across some of this is what have the, what has the supply chain issues done to these smaller builds yeah i mean if if you think about it um Last year, the estimate was there were about nine to ten billion dollars worth of edge data centers being built. That's everything from that classic data center that you mentioned earlier to those data centers being put on cell towers and all that. Um, reports have said that the market growth in that specific market, in the edge data center market, was going to be about seventeen percent year over year. Uh -huh. So, you know, by the end of this decade, we're looking at what twenty-five, thirty billion dollars a year. In edge data center development. Obviously, it depends what the market does. I mean, if, if the market will get saturated in some places, and, we'll, and what I think will eventually happen is the areas that are poorly served now will see more development simply because the, the competition is less there, and the vendors will be able to charge higher prices, presuming there's enough space there to, uh, in, in terms of. Um, in terms of actual businesses looking to use the area. I mean, we, we, you know, anybody that's lived in a rural area or in a suburban area uh, has watched what happens to property values and costs as businesses move in. So if, if my, if my, my rural area is trying to attract industrial customers because it's got good power, good connectivity and lots of space, then there's a demand going to be more of a demand for industrial edge stuff. But if what I'm looking to add is more housing, 
and bring in more, you know, more and more of a suburban environment where I, you know what, I have con connectivity for individual users. There's going to be more shopping going on. There's going to be more resources spent on finding local data. Do I, is Google going to want to put somebody, something in there? Are vendors like that focus on areas like that, like a tractor supply or rural king or the ones that they're going to invest in more edge data technology because it's important to them to get to all those customers with what's with live information as to what they can find in their stores. You know, it's right. just sort of that step. And then you from from that 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 size store, you move up to like the Home Depots and the Lowe's, where there are not quite as many stores. They're on the edges of the rural areas, but they're splitting their time between edge and between a rural and, and higher density populations, but real-time information, the ability to um, do real sales on that website in a way that the customers aren't offended by it. I believe Home Depot actually went through and put in a program where they rebuilt their entire network infrastructure so that if you were in your, if you were at home and you ordered something on your phone, when you got to the store, you could bring it up on your phone, walk around that particular store to find other things related to it in real time so that they their sales the, the, the sales transition from the internet to real life was as seamless as possible that's right. a lot of processing power going on yeah. and if you're in an urban area great you can find it but if you're not that's going to mean that you're, you're going to need to start investing in edge technologies definitely well i think uh this has been a good uh discussion you know i mean uh you know, I just it keeps coming back to me something that the gentleman from uh, Nautilus said in one of the uh, recent uh, DCF uh, forums, just talking about the, uh, you know, how we're at the beginning of a new 10 or 20 year cycle and data centers are, are going to be everywhere just because of the nature of the Internet and connectivity. And uh, I think that we are going to be defining a lot of these uh, new data centers as uh, edge. So it's uh, it feels like an evergreen topic that uh, you know that maybe we're just scratching the surface uh, again here, but that we'll be uh, continuing to uh, follow up on. So uh, any any closing thoughts? My Zoom budget is uh, dwindling uh, once again. <laughs> closing thoughts on uh, on ed edge what, data centers. Um, uh, what's old is new again, and. Back in the days when your shadow IT folks decided to stick a, a, a server underneath the secretary's desk, they're now sticking a, a micro data center in a, in a box in a closet and bringing that data processing capability to the look to the to the edge. And that and the scale of that edge is going to depend on how much business needs it and solving whatever whatever problems businesses are running into in terms of moving data around cost, security efficiency, speed, whatever that case may be. And the first the first point is going to point of contact is the edge. What else do we do? Right. That's it. Well, we'll have to leave it there for now. Uh, put another episode of the DCF show in the books. Uh, signing off uh, here. I'm uh, Matt Vincent, David Chernikoff. Uh, thanks again. And uh, to everyone in the audience who's tuning in, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be with you again here soon on the podcast.